0: Magic is power. A legacy. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Leaving a Legacy. My name is Patrick. I am your legacy newbie, and with me this week, as always. Jerry, me. What's going on, man?
1: How much, Pat? How you doing?
0: I'm I'm doing very well. We also have a special guest this week joining us. Uh, noted Esper Stoneblade uh, expert, Ben Friedman. What's going on, man?
2: Yo, what's good? <laughs> uh, I'm chilling.
0: <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, we got a, lot <laughs> got a lot to get into tonight. Um, as always, you know, you guys can find us on HipstersOfTheCoast.com. Uh, Hipsters has tons of free content each week. Uh, Jerry writes for them. Our friends Aaron and Kate both write for them. Uh, so you can check it out there, and uh, the podcast posts there every Friday. Uh, also, if you want to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash Legacy. Uh, we have some awesome rewards there. Jerry got the playmat art. It looks pretty amazing. Um, we have us.
1: Uh, Inside the proxy guy.
0: Yes, yes. We got stickers on there, some other stuff, so check it out. Link will be in the show notes. So, Ben, you got a chance to play in the Star City Games Team Constructed event this past weekend, right?
2: Yeah, it was awesome.
0: Yeah, so tell us a little bit about Team Constructed, kind of the dynamic there. I haven't gotten a chance to play in an event like that, but I've heard really great things about playing in Team Constructed events.
2: Yeah. Okay, so basically uh, this is is an event that I have always wanted to play in, Team Constructed events, uh, mainly because you get the benefit of all three formats and you get to team with people, and it's more interesting, I think, than Team Sealed because you get to actually bring your decks and bring specialists on board, and it's more interesting than team unified of a single format because you get three formats. Three formats is better than one. And they'd done this format before uh, before Star City picked it up um, at like a Worlds event a long time ago, and then it kind of dropped off. And to me, that's, that was kind of ludicrous. This seemed like something super sweet. I could get, you know, oh, my friend, he loves playing Affinity. So he'll play the modern seat. I love playing Delver or Stoneblade or whatever in Legacy, so I'll take the Legacy seat. And then whatever chimp we don't want to to have a good time at the event, they can play shitty standard and they can have fun spinning the Marvel mirror.
1: (laughs) I kind of wish it was limited. I feel limited modern Legacy would make a bit more sense.
2: That's what they're doing for GP Vegas. They already knew.
0: I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jerry uh, is Jerry's the only one on this
2: podcast who's not going to Vegas. I'm, I'm assuming you're going, Ben. The... <laughs> I, I am going. I'll be doing Modern and Legacy ones because that way you can play in two without having overlap. Yes.
0: Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I'll be playing in the Legacy event. I'll be, I'm will be. i flying in Wednesday. I'll be flying out uh, late Saturday night because I, I don't care too much for, for Modern, but um mm-hmm. i'm excited to play the legacy event at least and then uh play some side events and check out the artists and all that stuff should be a really good time
1: yeah and my segue yeah, and it's with it's awesome. iPad. to <laughs> my, se- my segue with an ipad duct tape to it uh, will, uh be <laughs> wandering around <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah it should be a great time it should be a great time yeah so uh the team events seem sweet it's something i
2: hope to uh to participate in so you ended up playing a uh, blue black control deck at the uh, team event ben Yeah, so um, we knew that Legacy had gotten shaken up a little bit because they banned Sensei's Divining Top, and I was, up until the week prior, I wasn't sure if I was going to play in that event or in GP Montreal because I wasn't sure if I was going to need pro points, but I ended up barely, barely sneaking into getting exactly locking gold um, at the Grand Prix in Richmond, so I had that pressure off, so I immediately made plans to go to the SCG because I would much rather play... Legacy as part of a three-headed team than play Standard uh, as part of a one-man unlucky show. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I I would much rather be the Legacy partner in a collaboration, so I immediately booked to go to Louisville, and I needed to figure out who I was going to team with. Fortunately, my pals on Metagame Gurus, Frank Scarron and Jim Davis, volunteered, and Frank was gracious enough to be our Standard uh Sparring mummy. Taking one for the team. Yeah, he took one for the team. You he was our standard plan. punching bag. <laughs> <laughs> and Jim Jim has had a lot of success with Dredge and Modern, and I have played some with that as well, so we all thought that would be fine. And they said, basically, Ben, we trust you. Just brew something cool up, and, uh, and we'll let you do really whatever you want. And so I said, well, shit, that's cool, but I also, <laughs> that's a little bit of pressure, because I really didn't want to brew something up and then have it blow up in my face, um, <laughs> which has happened before. But yeah, so I was, I was all psyched. Uh, I got back from the PT and I started jamming some legacy on Magic Online. And, uh, and that's when I you know started thinking, all right, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to break this format that now there's no Miracles deck? How does the metagame shift and what can I do to exploit it?
0: So now, why go with, like, the blue-black version of this? I mean, I guess you have your splash ingredient in here as well, even though it's listed under blue-black control. Um, mm-hmm. It's set in, in place of, like, something like the check pile, which has kind of gained a little bit of popularity in the last few weeks.
2: Or last few months, right. rather. Right. Okay, so there were a couple steps on the way to this blue-black deck. Uh, the first was, now, you mentioned check pile. The mm-hmm. problem with check pile is the mana base kind of sucks. Oh it's yeah, for sure. very vulnerable to wasteland. You're stretching in all kinds of directions. It's fine, but I didn't. I did not believe that you needed to play either green, which was for basically for abrupt decay, so that check pile could beat the counterbalance lock, which now you no longer need to do. Mm-hmm. And it was playing like one lightning bolt or one red blast or one or two K commands. This also is not necessary anymore because well, you don't need red red in your sideboards anymore, because you don't need Red Blast, because Miracles was the best deck to board in Red Blast against. It's okay, it's passable against decks like Sneak and Show or Storm, but it's not great. I mean, it is just a one-mana interaction spell, but sometimes it doesn't interact with what they do, and then you look really foolish. So, Red Blast, I wasn't that thrilled about. Uh, it's much better when people are playing a lot of Counterbalances and Jaces and things like that. Uh, Abrupt Decay wasn't thrilled about, it's important against Counterbalance, but it's not that flexible or powerful a removal spell outside of that unique ability that it has, mainly because a lot of the best threats in Legacy are either less mana than it, Delver, Deathrite, Shaman, you know, Mother of Runes, Aether Vile, etc., or they're much more mana than it, you know, now we're talking Not Seer, Gurmag, Angler, Jace, things like that, where you, you only get a good rate on your Abrupt Decay with a very small segment of the, the prevalent permanence in the format. So I was thinking, like, all right, well, I don't really need to play Abrupt Decay. Maybe we can actually get a benefit of playing some goddamn basic lands for once and not losing <laughs> to lands every time I play against them, which is exactly, you know, where my thoughts went. So, okay, I was thinking, all right, we don't really need green. We don't really need red. I can play, well, maybe I can play Esper. So I started tinkering with Esper online, and I built an Esper list, and I did well with that. And simultaneously, I started tinkering with a blue-black list, where basically it was the best pieces of Esper Stoneblade and the best pieces of Delver stitched together cutting the chaff, the Lightning Bolts and the Delvers from Delver of Secrets decks, as well as the Mm Dazes. So you cut that like early game tempo stuff, and you cut the Stoneforge Mystics and the Swords to Plashers, the White from the Esper deck, in order to just get the leanest mana base possible. And you basically are taking the least flexible, most one-sided parts of each deck, because, like, that Delver package of Delver, Lightning Bolt, and Daze is good, but it only plays one way. It plays aggressively, right? It plays, we need to be getting advantage in the early turns. Turn five or six roll around, and your top deck Delvers, your top deck Dazes are bad. Your Lightning Bolt, unless you're actively killing them, is pretty bad. By the same token, the Stoneblade package of, you know, Stoneforge, Batterskull Jitte, and Swords to Plowshares, those cards are fine, but Stoneforge Mystic in and of itself is actually not that thrilling a card right now, mainly because um, it's a little slow. It's not very good against Storm or Sneak and Show. It's only okay against Delver, as now the Delver decks often have Cabal Therapy and um, Gurmag Angler to either snipe the Batterskull from your hand or play a Gurmag Angler or like a True Name Nemesis or something, and then your batter Skull looks pretty flaccid itself. So... So those were the, the problem segments of the deck. And I thought, all right, well, let's just shave both of those, and then I can just play only the best cards, which are Deathrite, Gurmag Angler, Snapcaster Mage, Brainstorm, Ponder, Force of Will, etc. Cetera, et cetera, And I thought, well, all right, this is kind of, you know, now, now something's coming together. What if, so what new cards can I play that I'm really interested in? Mm-hmm. And so- the, big, the big one there was Collective Brutality. If you're not playing Abrupt Decay, Collective Brutality does most of what Abrupt Decay did against Delver while actually being a piece of cardboard rather than a giant turd sandwich against the combo decks. <laughs> so so that's, I, was, I was overwhelmed. I thought, wow, you know, this is a really big deal. You don't frequently escalate Collective Brutality. That's something that people have been kind of confused by because they see this ability on the card and they think, well... This card has this ability, so you want to make use of it. I mean, yeah, you sometimes do, but against Storm, you're very rarely caring about the other two-thirds of what the spell can do. You just want to duress. Against Delver, you're very rarely caring about the other two-thirds of the spell. You just want to kill that turn to death right. Now, granted, there are four or five different specific situations where you are interested in escalating, but... I really, really don't want to play my Collective Brutality, Escalate something, and get it dazed against Delver. I mean, that's just horrendous. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm i willing to do it, but only in situations where the best thing they can possibly do is force of will it to get a two-for-two two trade, um, rather than 2 for oneing me, because as a mid-range control deck, you never want to walk yourself into two-for-ones against the tempo aggro deck. So, alright. So So now I'm thinking, alright, cool, we've got a, a pretty solid core for a deck. Uh, we've got basically a Stoneblade deck that cuts the stone forges and the stone forge package and the swords to Plashers airs for fatal pushes, death Rites, and Gurmag anglers. And instead of having you know like random randomly drawing batter skull and Jite and having them be bad, you're drawing thought scour, which is a cheap cantrip to smooth your draws out. To, sh- to get rid of chaff off the top of a brainstorm or a ponder. We're, we're very happy with that. Uh, and Gurmag Angler, I think, is uh, the second best creature in Legacy after Death Shaman. I don't Those consider Snapcaster words. Mage to be a creature right now. <laughs> Snapcaster Mage is just a uh, a two mana flashback spell. But uh, yeah, you get to play all the best creatures True Name Nemesis, Delver, or excuse me, True Name Nemesis, Death Gurmag, and Snapcaster. Those are all the best creatures in Legacy. Alongside, you know, decent disruption. You're playing uh, a good number of counter spells, and you have a bunch of Thought Seasons post-board, and good removal. And this was, you know, and you, you aren't stressing your mana base in any way. You get to play three basics. Actually, now, my updated list, four basics. And I'm pretty thrilled with what this deck does. Uh, and so, yeah, I took it to the event. I tinkered with it a little bit. I asked Frank and Jim for their advice. They gave me some advice. Most of it was bad. It messed (laughs) up my deck a little bit. But, you know, it's all right, Frank. I'm not mad that you asked me to play a Creeping Tar Pit, even though it should have been a basic Swamp. (laughs) I'm only a little bit mad. No, I mean, i played against lands four times at the event, and you can never win in game one, because not only do you not have a way to kill a Merit Lage, other than one of main deck Liliana, which isn't good because they can end step make the Merit Lage, but you also only have right as your interaction with the Graveyard. Post-sideboard, of course, you bring in some Edicts, which is a great card against lands, and you bring in some Surgicals, another great card against lands. So I lost all of my game ones and won all of my game two and threes, except in game three of my winning in match against Jody Keith, I uh, I messed up a little bit and gave him. I didn't play a second wasteland, so then he was able to drop his dark depths, uh, ghost quarter my wasteland, and then I'm I'm pinned under there because I can't wasteland him off his combo in response because he can combo in response to that. Right. So I messed up. I should have played my second wasteland. Uh, Mia culpa. But it did. I did learn a lot from this tournament. Nice. All right. Nice. So before. So, so cool. go ahead, Jerry.
1: So, yeah. So taking a step back uh, to what you said about being able to shave colors. Um, when I first saw your list, it really reminded me of some of the brews people were throwing out there when Fatal Push was first spoiled. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like you said, you don't need the green for Abrupt Decay anymore, you don't need the white for Source to Airs. the red for Lightning Bolt. You know, how important was Fatal Push being printed, giving Black its first, you know, really reliable uh, one-mana removal spell to this game plan?
2: Uh, I mean, the deck wouldn't exist without Fatal Push, right? You would have to play a third color, you would have to play probably white for swords to plow shares, um, or you could go the Delver route, which was always the Grixis Delver deck, didn't play it before Fatal Push existed, it had Lightning Bolt as its removal spell of choice. Uh, but you could not just play blue-black, relying on only Disfigure, Dismember, um, or Vendetta, I guess, as your one-mana removal spells, because those were either... Yeah, snuff Out, I
1: think easy. Snuff Out's awesome play.
2: Yeah. These cards are are cool, and they're actually pretty slick, but they are pretty high liability against the Delver deck. Like, you're not going to dismember their turn one Delver. You're also going to sometimes draw your Disfigure, and your opponent's going to have a Gurmag Angler in play, and then you're also going to feel really foolish. Um, having flexible removal spells, it, it can't be overstated, how important it is in Legacy for a given color to have access to a one-mana universal removal spell. And white, obviously, has always had the absolute best one in Swords to Plowshares, but Fatal Push is pretty darn close to the point where now it may be worth it to shave white from your deck, play a more uh, wasteland-proof mana base, and just, just rely on Fatal Push to do your heavy lifting except for those very specific scenarios, Gurmag Angler, Merit Lage, and Reality Smasher, which are cards for which you need to have access to Diabolic Edict effects, uh, for the most part. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, if it weren't for Fatal Push, the deck wouldn't exist. If it weren't for the Banning of Sensei's Divining Top, the deck wouldn't exist, because it could never beat Miracles otherwise. And, um, and yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled, because... Now that you don't have to play those, you can play Collective Brutality in that abrupt decay spot, and you now have seven main deck removal spells that are passable to good against Delver decks in four Fatal Push and three Collective Brutality, while incidentally also having three main deck Thought Seize effects uh, or Duress effects against Storm and Sneak and Show, which is you know a, a huge upgrade because now your main deck win percentage against those decks goes up dramatically as having. Having access to that effect in a Snapcaster-driven deck is just so important because then what it actually means is rather than having a quote-unquote three main deck duress effect, well, you actually kind of have seven because you hit one and then you draw Snapcaster and it's a second copy. So having access to these different effects that don't have an opportunity cost in game one because they're flexible, but that give you an effect that you might otherwise not be incentivized to put in your main deck is huge and the fact that now you can do this in a two-color package means that we have a brand new deck in the format
1: don't uh, don't also sell short the drain life i have lost games to my opponent going collective brutality drain you for two life snapcaster mage
2: game oh yeah uh let me tell you i was just playing on um... Magic Online earlier today. I was playing my Stoneblade version, not my Blue Black version of of this uh, macro archetype. And uh, I sit down, and my opponent, you know, starts talking to me, and he's like, "Haha, does my deck look familiar?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I mean, I can tell you copied my list because he collected <laughs> brutality me on turn two, and then way later in the game, he drew both of the True Name MSCs, and I was about to turn the corner. I was at eight life." And he drew Snapcaster Mage for the turn, so he kill, attacks me to two and then snaps the, the Brutality as his last card. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I mean, you got me. <laughs> so there is—it's it, rarely used. It's used maybe, I would say, 5% of the time that you cast the card, but it is absolutely pivotal that 5%. In addition, it gave this blue-black deck that you would ordinarily think would actually be, you know— Ordinarily, a, a blue black or soul tie control deck in legacy could never beat burn, which is annoying mainly because in team events you face a lot of burn in the legacy seat, and that's a lot of the time because teams have a hard time coming up with a competent legacy player with access to all the good cards. So they just pick up the burn deck because it's cheap and anyone can play it to a, a normal level of competence. So I actually played against burn in two of my first three rounds of that legacy of the, the team open. So it is important to hedge against that. With Collective Brutality, I have played against Burn a bunch. It's also pretty prevalent online, incidentally, because it's a cheap deck. And every time they're like, all right, Goblin Guide, I'm like, okay, cool, thanks for giving me the free card. Now I'll (laughs) discard that card, duress you, drain you, kill the guide, and the game just ends on the spot. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Pretty good. Plus, sometimes gaining two life is the difference between a win and a loss with Burn.
2: Oh, easily. That drain two, that's that's one card out of their hand. That's like two that's two thirds of a bolt, two thirds of a chain lightning. It's very important. And, and and yeah, so pitching pitching three cards to take their, you know, their fire blast, kill their creature, and drain them for two, it's it's amazing. And then the next turn, you slam down your Gurmag Angler, delving away all the cards you just discarded, and uh, your opponent shrivels up and dies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a nice uh, interaction, being able to escalate brutality to feed your Gurmei Angler. You also have some, uh, some Thought Scours in there to kind of feed the graveyard as well.
2: Yeah, you gotta feed the fish. Yep,
0: for <laughs> sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You've sold me, Ben. I'm adding Foil Collected Brutalities to my shopping cart right now.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think that it's a very good card in both Modern and Legacy. I don't know. Uh, I mean, it depends what kind of decks you like. It's very good when you can take advantage of either its flexibility or the graveyard synergies. So in Dredge in Modern, in the mid-range decks in Modern, like Abzan and in Legacy, with these mid-range blue decks, it's very, very good. But yeah, I mean you'll see it you'll see it coming to replace cards like him in the uh, in the various blue, black X mid-range decks in Legacy, just because Kim Totorak plays one way, and this card plays two ways.
1: Yeah, it's the flexibility just makes it so powerful. And for what looks to be uh, the shapings of a legacy staple, they're damn cheap too. You can get regular copies online for about six bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a rare. Uh, it's from a recent set, but it is disappearing soon. Copies are going to start drying up. So, uh, I think if you want to play this card, it's uh, it's a good target to pick up uh, sooner rather than later.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't spec on it. I don't know if oh, people yeah, are interested yeah. in speccing, just because it's already 6 bucks or whatever, and it's a standard I, card. Some point I, down the road, maybe, long-term.
1: I see it I see it kind of following the same trajectory as Abrupt Decay. You know, Abrupt Decay was getting up to $15, $20 uh, before it got the reprint. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I see Collective Brutality easily being a $20
2: card uh, within a year or two. Yeah, down the road. Depend Again, it's a lot driven by Modern, but uh, it, it easily could be.
1: Mm-hmm. Nice. So, other than Collective Brutality and Fatal Push, uh, were there any other just all-stars in the deck that, you know, even performed better than you expected them to?
2: Um, Well, I have always enjoyed casting a True Name Nemesis. Uh, It it is the replacement for Leovold, which was getting hyped a lot previously, but you don't have the green, you don't have a robust enough set of green lands to play Leovold. True Name is a little more proactive, and a little better against a uh, different portion of the metagame than Leopold. So uh, I was pretty impressed with True Name Nemesis. It's good not only at carrying or at uh, attacking opposing Jaces and whatnot. It stands up tall to opposing Gurmag Anglers. And Gurmag Angler is actually a pretty big weakness of this deck where your only ways of answering it are your own Gurmag Angler or a True Name to, to stand up and block it or a one-of-edict effect in your main deck, or you can Jace bounce it. But uh, you don't have any clean removal for it, which is frustrating, but True Name Nemesis does a huge amount of work against Gurmag Anglers, which obviously is very important. Uh, so True Name, obviously impressed. I would have probably not been as happy with Leopold in that slot. Jace, obviously impressed. I mean... What is there to say about the best planeswalker ever? Gideon's trying, but he's not gonna, not (laughs) gonna be a Jace. So yeah, Jace was amazing. It locks out games. Great card. And Liliana was actually pretty underwhelming. So I am replacing her with a diabolic edict in the main deck, which does most of what she does at a lower cost and is abusable with snapcaster mage. I frequently, the way that I played this deck, I would often have cards in my hand that I didn't want to discard with Liliana because what that would do... Like, let's say I, would, I discard a Fatal Push with Liliana to make them discard a card, right? I don't like that because then they can just top-deck uh, a creature and get right back in the game, and my Liliana then has to, you know, sacrifice herself or go down to one or something to answer that it opens up the door to opposing top decks. When you're playing a heavy Snapcaster deck, you often keep those Snapcasters in hand, and you don't want to be upping your Liliana and losing access to some of your best cards. So I'd rather... I mean, I've always been a Snapcaster aficionado. If I can make my Snapcasters better by adding another effect for them to flash back in Diabolic Edict, while kind of replacing a card that actually has a significant amount of tension with Snapcaster Mage, then I'm happy to do that. And the fact that Liliana's uptick was decent against combo decks is not a humongous loss because a lot of the time uh, the Liliana uptick was not doing enough to break combo decks before they reassembled their combo. So I, I think that it's not necessary and replacing it with Edict would be better. Uh, let's see, other All-Stars... Gurmag was a super all star, Death Right obviously did exactly what I expected it to, which was be a, a great card and a great way to leverage an early mana advantage. And uh Counterspell was underwhelming, spell snare also a little bit underwhelming. I think that spell pierce would just be the better card right now.
1: Hmm. It didn't know. So
0: before we uh so you, you had mentioned you wanted to add um add a diabolic edict in place of Liliana. Before we go into the, any of the other uh kind of changes you were th- Considering making, I just wanted to run down the list real quick so the listeners know a little bit more of what we're talking about here with the blue-black control list. Um, so we're looking at four Deathrite, three Germag, four Snapcaster, two True Names, um, two Jace and one Lily uh, in the Planeswalker suite. Um, we are looking at an, an Engineer Explosives in the main, four Brainstorm, a Counter Spell, four Fatal Push, four Force, one Spell Snare, two Thought Scour, three Collective Brutality and 3 Ponder. In uh, the lands package, it's nice that you're running 3 Basics, and the 2 Island and the Swamp, you said you, th- you were thinking about adding a 4th, a second uh, Swamp to that as well?
2: Yeah, the Creeping Tar Pit is, uh, it's okay, but it would probably be better as a second Swamp. Um, having a land that comes into play tapped can kind of hurt you. The fact that it, it it's nice if you expect a lot of opposing Jaces, mm-hmm. so if that were the case, I would cut, like, the one main deck, Bayou, for the creeping tar pit to to put back in, but I think that four basics is is fine and actually allows you to really play a super robust game plan against wastelands, where at that point with only with only three, you sometimes get to the point where alright, I've fetched out my three basics, I need to get to four and five mana to start, you know, Snapcaster and Gurmag angling and stuff like that. But I'm, my opponent has this wasteland burning a hole in his pocket. He's going to wasteland me if I get a non-base stick. Getting up to four really, really pushes it to the point where now I can be casting my jaces mm-hmm. and just really feel feel comfortable that I can play an entire game without ever opening myself up to wasteland. Okay.
0: And uh, so, you, like I said, you had mentioned the diabolical. Are there any other changes you're considering making to the main board here?
2: Well, like I said, uh, the Liliana replaced by a Diabolic Edict right now. I'm going to try cutting the Tar Pit for a second Swamp. Uh, the rest of that side is good. The Creature Suite, I'm happy with. In the Spells column, I want to change the Counterspell and the Spell Snare to two copies of Spell Pierce. Um, I'm not certain about that, but I, I do think that Spell Pierce is tolerable in this deck uh it's obviously better the more pressure you're putting on your opponent mm-hmm. but i think that the fact that spell snare is basically dead against sneak and show makes pushes it over the edge where i need a card that can counter opposing sneak attacks and mm-hmm. spell spell pierce is the card for that and uh the the one of counterspell is a nice catch all don't get me wrong but i think that there are Basically, against most matchups, against, like, Delver decks, against um, other kind of Jace midrange Deathrite decks, I don't have the luxury of holding up two blue mana, especially in a deck where I'm frequently trying to fetch one basic Swamp. So, again, it's not thrilling to me to cut that card, but I think that it is going to have to happen. And the one Engineered Explosives in the main deck was actually pretty good. I would probably keep that as is, and I'm wondering about putting in a 4th Collective Brutality somewhere, Mm -hmm. and yeah, I'm not 100% sure where it would go, but I could see playing a 4th Brutality in the main deck, possibly cutting um, either the explosives or even a Thought Scour. Um, I I think that having too many cantrips, 1-mana cantrips, gives you a little bit too much air and obviously Thought Scour is the worst one. Brutalities Escalate can sometimes do most of the work of what a Thought Scour would do for enabling fast Gurmags, so I'm considering that. At this point, it becomes a little bit nebulous because this is all kind of Mm in-testing, but that's probably what I would look to do in the main deck, and then you want to go over a little bit of the sideboard yeah sure
0: yeah so the your the sideboard you had listed and i actually had a question on this as well um so you had two of the engineered explosives two edicts uh storm three surgicals two marsh casualties four thoughtsies and the one that i thought was really interesting was one copy of liliana the last
2: hope did you actually cast that on uh during the tournament um i did and it was fine uh the the thought behind it was well, originally, way back before Miracles was banned, I was working on a soul-type mm-hmm. version of this deck. Basically a similar strategy, but with Abrupt Decays instead of the Collective Brutalities. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the thinking was, well, I'm playing Check Pile, but I'm only playing three colors. I'm not playing Coligan's Command. So I need a card that has a similar effect to Coligan's Command to allow me to buy back my uh, dead Snapcaster Mages. Okay. And I was playing a couple Thought Scours, I was playing Gurmag Anglers, but I had not yet stumbled upon a good replacement. I thought Liliana the Last Hope was actually perfect here, and it kind of carried over into this list as a uh, a reasonable card against deaths, death and taxes, elves, decks that you know were vulnerable to the minus one. It was decent against Delver decks, as you can snag Delvers and young Pyromancers with it. And it has the minus two that you can rebuy against mid-range and control decks that find a way to kill True Names and Snapcasters and whatnot. However, I'm I'm off the Liliana the Last Hope train. It didn't do enough against enough decks. And I am going to be, be working with a single copy of Painful Truths going forward. Painful Truths is a huge burst of card advantage. It's really good against opposing... Mid rangey pile decks like Stoneblade or Shardless bug decks that are relying on Ancestral Vision, for example. They're going to be trying to execute their their cute combo of Shardless Agent into Ancestral Vision. And that's cool. I'm just going to be snap castering my Painful Truths and getting the same effect. But I don't have to rely on randomness to, to pull it up. I can get it out of my yard when I please. So, again, having more unique instants and sorceries is of the utmost importance in a Snapcaster deck. So, goodbye, Liliana. We're going to try a Painful Truths and see how it performs.
1: Have you uh, seen the decks running Knight's Whisper instead?
2: I have seen the decks running Knight's Whisper, and I think that it's a decent choice, but it is not... If I'm playing this one-of in the sideboard specifically to fight on the card advantage axis against... uh, Because Liliana, the last hope, was a grindy card. It was for grindy matchups. Um, If I'm trying to fight the card advantage axis, I want my my card to be a larger burst of card advantage than just a two-for-one. And as such, uh, Painful Truths makes a little bit more sense than Knight's Whisper. I do respect Knight's Whisper as like a one or two of in the main deck, but... If I'm going to have this be a sideboard card, I want my sideboard cards to either be haymakers for the matchups I'm picking them for or, you know, six or seven out of tens across a wide spectrum. And most of my sideboard cards in this deck are haymakers for specific matchups, engineered explosives and marsh casualties for elves and death and taxes, diabolic edict for Eldrazi and uh, lands, surgical extraction for lands and, you know, various graveyard comboy decks. Um, Thoughtseize is a combo card. Flusterstorm is a combo card. I want a card here that does a lot of work for against other people playing mid-rangey death right pile decks. And as such, I want this to be a card that if I draw it, I say, wow, I can sculpt the game plan around resolving this card and pulling far ahead. Knight's Whisper doesn't do that to the extent that Painful Truths does just because in the matchups where I care, I'm happier to lose the extra life to get the extra card.
1: Yep, makes sense. And you have, you know, because it's a grindier card, you have time to set up that third color. Uh,
2: right. You know, with either Deathrite Shaman or Bayou. Correct. So I'm, uh, I, I think that it's a cool innovation to have Knight's Whisper as like a mini Painful Truths. But I don't think that, that's more of a main deck thing for me. If mm-hmm. I wanted to hedge and have a couple more card advantage spells then I would say, yeah, I'll play one or two Knight's Whisper. Yeah,
1: but, I mean, it, it definitely feels more aggressive, you know, having the easier casting cost and just being, a, it, you know, casting a two-drop off of Snapcaster Mage is a lot easier than casting a three-drop off of Snapcaster Mage.
2: Oh, uh, absolutely. We're only trying to do this in the matchups where we expect to get to five, six, seven lands. Yeah, exactly, which
1: is, you know, exactly why it's in the sideboard instead of the main. Makes right. sense, I like it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I could see playing, you know, one or two Night's Whisper over, like, a Ponder or something like that. It's definitely doable, and uh, I think that people, people have learned about it, you know, just the same way as people have gotten big on Predict, these, these nice little two-mana sources of a, a brief burst of card advantage. But I think that my the, the way that I've constructed this deck, you don't have room to be doing that. Snapcaster is your Night's Whisper-type card.
1: Hmm. I do like that these cards have been popping up, like you said, like Predict too. because I remember a couple years ago, you know, people would have been caught dead running Predict or Knight's Whisper in their Legacy deck. It's like, oh, did you not have enough cards and went through your uh, draft chafe to see if you had anything? Yeah,
2: (laughs) it's crazy. But uh, people are learning. I I mean, Legacy is advancing, and you see that not just in people picking up new cards like Collective Brutality and Leovold, but in people dusting off old cards for new purposes with the miracles adaptations that eventually led to its banning because once Predict got into the deck, it was super, super good even against these grindy check pile decks. And then same with Knights Whisper, that now the, these players are fighting these uh, these card advantage battles that you would think are reminiscent of like psychotog mirrors from two thousand and two. And yet, yeah <laughs> fifteen years later here we are <laughs> uh,
1: the good old days
2: <laughs> yeah I never got to play psychotog mirrors i was uh still a wee lad i didn't I didn't uh have that much magic experience at that time i i would, I only really started playing in local tournaments uh in like oh four or oh five so i I got to witness skull clamp that was a good way to draw two cards <laughs>
1: <laughs> good times,
2: yeah so wow. yeah i mean i'm I'm pleased with the way the deck performed. I'm excited to tinker with it and the Esper Stoneblade list looking for moving forward and yeah we can uh we can definitely talk about that one as well
1: awesome uh, you don't, uh you have enough time? I know you said uh you had to wrap up
2: yeah no i mean let's let's do like uh five minutes on why I like the Esper Stoneblade deck as well, and I'll give you my updated list. And then we'll uh, hop into questions you mentioned. Awesome. Yeah. Have. That's
1: perfect. perfect. That works. Yeah. Because I actually was going to ask you, uh, you know, if you had to sleeve something up for a GP tomorrow, which one would you choose? But yeah, let's get into yeah. that.
2: So, okay. So um, I I played the blue black deck. I went eight and two over two leagues, two four and ones. I played my Esper Stoneblade deck in four leagues. And overall, I have a record of 17 and three with that. So, I mean, both of these are, are awesome. Obviously, Legacy Leagues are not the best competition, but I'm pleased with both. The reason to play as for Stoneblade is if you think that you're going to need Swords to Plowshares. Swords to Plowshares is the reason to be white more so than Stoneforge Mystic. If you are playing white, then yes, incidentally, you can play Stoneforge Mystic, but the real reason for white is Swords. The secondary reason is Supreme Verdict, and the tertiary reason is Stoneforge Mystic. So why why Swords and why Verdict? Well, Swords is good because a lot of people play Lands, a lot of people play Gurmag Angler. Having a clean answer is amazing. Why Supreme Verdict? When Terminus left the format, people stopped expecting Sweepers. Uh, people never really play around Sweepers except against Miracles and against specifically Toxic Deluge. But now when you, ha- when you can set up a Supreme Verdict, that's, hum- that- that's just an amazing play that is often a game-winning play against most of the format. Elves, Delver, uh, death and Taxes, Supreme Verdict is just a card that you set it up and your opponent's like, oh my god, holy shit, I, I, I lost both of my Death rights and my my uh, my entire board of Young Pyromancer and Tokens. It, it's, it just does so much there. And you can often bait your opponent into over-committing to the board with a true name nemesis that then you watch your opponent dump their whole hand onto the table and then you sweep them all up play a Stoneforge or the Batter's Skull that you've been sandbagging and win from there. So Supreme Verdict has been... It, it is also going to come back around now that Terminus is not the sweeper du jour, so be prepared for that one. Uh, the nice thing about Esper Stoneblade in general, though, is, again, you, just like the blue-black deck, you morph into every single matchup's worst nightmare in the post-board scenarios. You're playing against Delver... Okay, in my post-board for Stoneblade list, I have four Swords to Plowshares, four Collective Brutality, two Fatal Push, three Supreme Verdict, three Engineered Explosives, and, of course, Stoneforge, Snapcaster, True Name Nemesis, and, you know, and the like. I, I cut all my forces, cut my Spell Pierces or Thought Seizes or a mixture of those, cut maybe a Jace on the draw, and it's just removal as far as the eye can see with a few card advantage spells in Snapcaster. Stoneforge Mystic is a card advantage spell as your opponent has to deal with it, or the the card you got. And uh, and yeah, I mean, it's it's just great. Or, let's say I'm playing against combo. Post-sideboard against your combo deck, I have four Collective Brutality, four Thought four Force of Will, three Spell Pierce, three Meddling Mage, and uh, three Surgical Extraction, depending on if that's good, as well as I upgrade to sort of Fire and Ice off my Stoneforge Mystic, and my Force of Wills, of course, and the Snapcaster Mages to flash them all back. This is twelve virtual discard spells against Storm, but I'm not even that vulnerable to my opponent going in on a Leyline of sanctity plan because I also have a bunch of counter magic and I have meddling mage. You attack your opponent from all these different angles, regardless of whether they're the combo segment of the metagame, or the delver segment of the metagame, or the fair deck segment uh, the fair deck segment of the metagame, you also have you're you're perfectly content to sit there and grind opponents out with Jace, Stoneforge, Snapcaster. Uh, incidentally, you're also able to play all your basics. You've got two islands, a planes and a swamp, and the fetch lands to get them. You're incidentally also pretty clean against, um, lands in the post-board games as you bring in your, uh, your three surgicals to try and cover that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm generally speaking pretty confident going up against a wide swath of the metagame with with either of the two decks that we've talked about, and I think, I guess if there were a GP tomorrow, I would probably play the Esper list, but um, I mean, I think that they're both really, really good choices. I just have to get in more refs with both, and uh, yeah, I mean, if you like taking a slower pace about it, then you want to play the white cards. If you want to try and leverage Gurmag Angler, which is a really good card in Legacy right now, then play just blue-black, but if you You predict that your opponents are going to be all about their Gurmag Anglers and, you know, Death rights and whatnot. Then you want to play the Esper deck. Cover those with uh, your Swords to Plowshares and Supreme Verdicts. And, yeah, so if people start twisting towards the Blue-Black deck, then you want to be the Esper deck, because that has the advantage there. Um, But, yeah, I mean, both both are great. Snapcaster is great. Uh, Collective Brutality is super flexible, and therefore very good. And I would be thrilled to take either of these decks to a legacy tournament going forward. Cool. So, yeah, that That's what I've got. Um, I know people are going to have questions like, oh, why no Vendilion Clicks? <laughs> oh, why no uh, Ether Sworn Canonists? Why not this or that? I mean, that's... In the, wor- the, in the words of, of Dave Chappelle. With.
1: <laughs> in the words of Dave Chappelle, because fuck him, that's why.
2: Seriously. <laughs> I, I've had people asking me, like, oh, did you not think it was too slow? I'm like, bro, I know what I, I'm doing. Like, why didn't you play this card? Because I because I made that choice. I know the card's in Legacy. I'm not a fool, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> Drop the mic. Yeah. So what yeah. kind of questions do people have? I, I'll, uh, I'll try yeah. to, to not make fun of people who ask questions. There are no dumb questions.
1: <laughs> exactly. Only dumb answers. What? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so up first, we have Lawrence Harmon. Actually... Uh early scoop in the top eight to Lawrence. He's actually one of the ones to, who suggested we should invite you on. So uh Lawrence wants to know damn Friedman, why you trippin' so hard? He then follows it up with, I'm serious, ask him this.
2: <laughs> All right. Damn Lawrence, why am I tripping so hard? Oh,
1: I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I miss it It's trapping. Trapping
2: so oh. hard. <laughs> The, those two words have extremely different meanings I here. know
1: right
2: <laughs> so, uh, I'm glad I caught it tripping and trapping yeah uh, trapping why I trapping so hard well uh, Lawrence let me tell you uh, selling controlled substances is uh, against the law and contraindicated and uh, I do not condone the use of illicit substances nor do I uh, compete in any business endeavors to uh, promote the sale or use of uh, any controlled substances on schedule one or two. So <laughs> it's fair, it's uh, I'm not is... trapping very hard. In fact, uh, yeah, no, uh, yeah, Lawrence, Lawrence, is, Lawrence is a cool dude, but, uh, uh, the, the only drug that I'm smoking is, yeah, I, I, I have been known to roll up a snapcaster mage from time to time. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, yeah, and snort a line of brainstorms.
1: Oh, you, you light up your cigars with tarmogoyfs and snapcaster mages too. You know, it's the only way to get the cigar to burn right is with the ink on the cardboard.
2: Have you seen the picture on Ice Age Brainstorm? That guy is on something. <laughs>
1: Wait, what? I have not seen this picture.
2: I look up the Ice Age Brainstorm. The guy's head is literally exploding. He must be tripping. Oh.
1: <laughs> I thought you were referring to some uh some meme of some guy actually lighting a cigar with a tar no, no, no,
2: the picture uh, on Brainstorm. That guy's gotcha. on drugs for sure. <laughs> <laughs>
1: can't argue with it. <laughs>
0: and uh, Lawrence also has a more serious question. Um, what, what are your thoughts on the Four-Color Delver list uh, in this meta now that we're in?
2: Yeah, so I think that Four-Color Delver was specifically designed to be a Delver deck that could beat a Resolved Counterbalance because you had Abrupt Decay. And incidentally, once you're committed to beating Counterbalance with Resolved Abrupt Decay, then you have these seven main deck slots devoted to removal, which means that you are... Um, You're taking on the control role in the semi-mirror match against the more aggressive Delver decks, which is fine. I love taking on a slightly more bulky, slightly more controlling role in semi-mirrors because that's how you get an edge. But now that Miracles isn't in the format anymore, there's less incentive to play Abrupt Decay. I would be willing to play Collective Brutality in that spot uh, because now you're playing a card that is both a removal spell against the Delver semi-mirror, while also being a, a main deckable discard spell against the combo deck. So against combo, you are improving your matchup there. But we're not playing four colors anymore. We're playing Grixis. And as such, I do think that Grixis Delver is a decent choice. And hell, there's a pretty good chance that I end up tinkering with a Grixis Delver deck, but not one that is anything like the ones that we see nowadays with, you know, all young Pyromancers and... Uh, um, and uh, Getaxian probes, but I might just do exactly what I just said using your collective brutalities as a main deckable abrupt decay that is also a main deckable duress. That is also incidentally because you're playing four lightning bolts because you're playing a Delver deck. This card gives that motherfucker some reach. <laughs> nice. So, I, like I yeah, so to answer Lawrence's question, um, I might. Tinker with Four-Color Delver again, but I'm much more likely to, to stick with Grixis if I'm Delvering in the future, as your mana base is a little bit less abusable, and you don't need to play green. Awesome.
1: Well, Mark Sawyer wants to follow up. He wants to know, what is the best card in Legacy right now, and why is it Deathrite Shaman?
2: Yeah, I mean, Deathrite Shaman is super, super good. Uh, there are some some people who would say other things, Deathrite is is certainly the best because it allows you to leverage an early game mana advantage. There are some starts that are uh, impossible to come back from. Your opponent leads with Deathrite, and you play a Deathrite or Delver or whatever. They Wasteland you, Fatal Push the, Del- the Deathrite or Delver that you played, and then play a Delver of their own. And now they have three permanents in play to your zero, and... You just got Wastelanded, and yeah, now you're just super far behind. It just allows you to take advantage of being on the play a lot more. Um, there have yeah. been formats in the past where I've been willing to be on the draw, and, and thrilled, actually, about being on the draw, because I can just use my Force of Wills without being down a card, because you get the extra card on the draw, and you get a, a semi-free Mulligan on the draw, because a Scry and a 6 is almost as good as a 7, but not anymore. With death right, you can't, like... You just have to have to accept that sometimes your opponent is just going to drive through you with a deathrite-driven wasteland-based start that they just really keep you from ever getting things going. Mm. There are other contenders. I would say brainstorm is actually the best card in Legacy. Deathrite is number two, and uh, but but yeah, I mean, Deathrite is just super super good, and there aren't that many choices to make. It's just if you want to try and warp your deck to beat death right decks or play a death right deck and if so which package do you want you want that like i said the delver days stifle wasteland package or do you want to be a little bit more controlling it's up to you
1: yeah the way i would actually stack rank it is i would say best card is a turn one death right shaman second best is brainstorm third best is or not even maybe third best but a turn two Deathrite Shaman, because the difference between a turn one Deathrite Shaman on the play or, and a deathright Shaman on the draw is huge. Oh, uh, that's easily.
2: A, mm-hmm. Of course, you play a deathright Shaman on the draw after your opponent made an Aether Vial or a Mother of Runes, or your opponent just played a basic Swamp and said go, which is ominous as fuck because you like an eye on turn two.
1: One of my best friends plays Pox. I know that feeling all too well of playing a Deathrite Shaman into an untapped swamp. <laughs>
2: yeah, like, uh, this is this is going nowhere fast. But yeah, I mean Deathrite is super good. Uh, you even see people dipping as low as Noble Hierarch to just get a fake Deathrite Shaman in their uh, true name true name bug decks. You know, like the Reed Duke deck.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, so because. You know, you're saying Death Right Shaman is so good. Uh, William Godsey uh, wants to know, you know, why traditional Esper Blade instead of splashing for the Death Right Shaman?
2: Yeah, um, well, that's an interesting question. And so the reason that I liked just straight up Esper is because Death Right Shaman is actually not that good against the combo decks. And so if you're going to play Esper, you need to play enough interaction for combo and having enough, having a high enough count of creatures in your deck is, is going to lead to you actually losing a good amount against the combo decks. You also, if you're playing Esper Deathblade, it often warps your mana base a little bit. I might tinker with it uh, in the future, but you sort of start to run out of spots in your deck to play the interactive spells that you need and you lose some of the ability to um, to have like a super crisp, clean mana base because you need to start packing like a Bayou or a uh, Savannah or a Tropical Island or whatever in order to make your mana base uh, use the Deathrite properly. Additionally, the one thing that I don't like about Deathrite in Esper Deathblade specifically is that you are trying to... I like playing an Esper deck such that none of my creatures are juicy targets for my my opponent's removal. I want my opponent to have a Fatal Push in their hand and be like, Oh, goddammit. Alright, I can Fatal Push a (laughs) Snapcaster Mage on turn 6, but that's not going to be useful. Uh, Deathrite Shaman allows your opponent to get a profitable interaction on you on turn 1 or 2. And so I don't like that. I do think Deathrite is a super powerful card, and I think that, again... If you're interested in using the you know the best card in Legacy, then I would say play Blue Black. It's a really good choice. But if you think that maybe your opponent is likely to have a bunch of Swords to Plowshares, burning holes in their pockets, and you don't want them to be able to trade one for one with you, you want them to trade one for two with you, you can pack your deck full of Stone Forges and Snapcasters and force your opponent to play things that way. Additionally, if you want to play Supreme Verdict, Supreme Verdict and Deathrite Shaman are not really that good friends because Deathrite, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's a it's a, a mana creature. You don't really want to play Wrath Effects in your mana creature deck, but it may be that each card is, is good enough on their own to justify having the Deathrites in your deck. I mean, if you look at the Shardless Bug decks, they've begun playing one or even two Toxic Deluges in the main deck, and they're chock-full of, of death rites and, um, and uh, what, what's it called, Shardless Agents and other creatures that are likely to be swept up. Obviously, the nice thing is they can Toxic Deluge for one to kill a True Name Nemesis or Mother of Runes or whatever and keep their death rites alive, which you don't get with Supreme Verdict. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it basically comes down to your preferred playstyle. And there are a ton of good archetypes revolving around the uh the brainstorm core. You can again try and beat it with a ton of removal in Esper. You can play it more aggressively, more controlling, however you want, but these are just options and all of them are good options. And yeah, the reason for not playing Death Right is because this is a holistic deck, the total package where it's I don't think that adding Death Right would benefit the deck in any way.
1: Nice. Uh, so, kind of splashing a little bit off that. Benjamin Brandt uh, mentioned, uh, you know, how Bant plays against uh, Esper and I guess Blue Black as well. You, you kind of mentioned Noble Hierarchs or Fake Deathrite Shamans, but any more thoughts about the Bant variation?
2: Yeah. So Bant Deathblade is a really good deck, and we saw in, in some recent article that I got linked to about the Magic or the MKM Open in Europe. That, mm-hmm. S- or that Bant Deathblade had a really, really high win percentage, and oh, it makes, yeah. sense. It makes I, sense because it's good.
1: Yeah. I, I was shocked uh, because of the Sneak and Show numbers, because uh, Julian posted Sneak Attacks matchups, and uh, Bant Deathblade was its worst matchup by far. Like, I think it had like a 36 win percent against Bant
2: Deathblade. Well, I mean, they, they are sideboarding a couple of Containment Priests, which is kind of a big dicking against Sneak and Show, but, I mean, it basically... So I like Bant. Um, I think that it's a really good deck. I played Bant Deathblade at a uh, at a Legacy open in Baltimore uh, a while ago, and uh, it performed okay. Um, I remember doing well, but uh, I got you know a little unlucky in some spots, and and you know the tournament ended, and I hadn't had that good of a result. But um, I do think that it's good. I think that it is a little bit vulnerable to um, to like Blood Moon because your mana base is so four color wonky, but it is a good choice. I think again, it is just another option in a, a giant conglomerate of decks all lined up in a row. Everything from as lean and aggressive as uh, Delver all the way up to uh, Esper Stoneblade where you see basically the Brainstorm core of these two, three, four-color blue decks. You have Delver, you have Bant Deathblade, you have Blue-Black Control, you have Esper Stoneblade, you have Esper Deathblade. I mean, you can do anything you want with this, with this core, and it really just depends on if you want to be more proactive or more reactive. I think that Bant is a great choice and it offers you a ton of flexibility. But the, th- the reason that I'm not thrilled with Bant Deathblade specifically is I think that Stoneforge Mystic is kind of underwhelming in the deck. I would rather just play blue-black, right? I would rather say forget the, the uh, forget the white. I don't need the white in my deck. I don't need Stoneforge. It's not that overwhelmingly powerful of a card right now. I, I can then cut my, my swords to airs for fatal pushes, and then i can just play the bl- it just turns into the blue black deck. So the decks all kind of lead into each other, you know, and it just depends on individual card clusters uh, and on how much you value them relative to other card clusters, right? So if you say i would rather play Gurmag Angler, which is super good, than Stoneforge Mystic, which is perfectly defensible, you shift up up one level from Esper or from Ban- Deathblade to blue-black. And then you say, well, maybe at this point I can cut my death rights and my gurmags and have none of my creatures be super vulnerable to removal. Then you move up to Esper Stoneblade. I mean, it, all the roads lead up and down this chain of decks and basically pick your spot on the, uh, on the continuum and all of them are good choices.
1: Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it. Uh, so Anderson Boone, what are your thoughts on Snapcaster Mage in Delver? Uh, would you run Grixis Delver but do a straight swap of Young Pyromancer for Snapcaster Mage?
2: Uh, I mean, we were just talking about this a little bit. I think Mm -hmm. that this question got preemptively answered when I said if I were going to tinker with Four-Color Delver again, I would do it and I would just cut the Abrupt Decays for Collective Brutalities and then we have the the, the same basic idea here, is Heavy Removal with Snapcasters to back up your Heavy Removal and be extra copies, as well as having... Um, this a- additional source of both reach and disruption against combo decks. Mm-hmm. And I think it might be a great choice. In fact, I may go tinker with it uh, after we get off the call. But um, yeah, I think if you want to make that swap, that's perfectly defensible. Young Pyromancer is only okay. And if you want Snapcaster in the deck, more, more power to you. Snapcaster goes great with Brainstorm and Ponder. So there's very... It, it excites me whenever there's an opportunity to uh, make Snapcaster great again.
1: Nice, uh, different direction. Stephen Hendrickson wants to know how many engineered explosives is too many.
2: Uh, I think that four in your seventy-five is too many, but three in your seventy-five is fine, as it is pretty good against Death and Taxes, Elves, Lands. Uh, it's a nice catch-all to catch opposing true name nemesis and, and against. I mean, I've played against Enchantress and random decks like that. Uh, I think that if you play four, you're probably it, you probably would be better served for a slightly more powerful card. But uh, two or three is a great number.
1: Okay, uh, Marcus Dom, uh, opinion. We kind of already went over this. Black splash versus red. Uh, went in depth. Uh, up next, Ryan O'Laughlin. What are you piping through those styling headphones?
2: Uh, so I have uh, a few. A few country tunes. I usually am updating my, my Discover Weeklies from Spotify. Uh, I've been recently big into... Well, let's go look on my phone right now as we talk about it. Uh, I've been listening to this song, Choctaw Bingo, by James McMurtry, I think is his name. And yeah, he is a... It's a stellar country song. It's uh, very, very funny, and I'm uh, I'm liking that a lot. Oh, I actually, it's the most recently played song on my on my uh, Discover Weekly playlist on Spotify, actually. <laughs> Let's see, what other stuff? Yeah, um, Texas Red Dirt country music. I've been big into that recently. But sometimes <laughs> I'll also play um, these remixes of old Biggie Smalls and Tupac songs that I found on on YouTube by this place called The Vibe Guide. Some really, really sick remixes that oh. I've been hyped on. So look up the yeah, Can I Get Witch was- uh, Axel remix. Super hype song.
1: Nice. That sounds right up my uh, alley. I like it. Uh, Lawrence, circling back around. One question per customer, Lawrence. (laughs) Uh, When will Team Mog be getting matching
2: rompers? Oh, Team MGG.
1: Oh, sorry. MGG. Yeah, when will we be getting matching rompers?
2: (laughs) Well, Team MGG is... uh, I I like to say that that Team MGG has faces for radiance. So we're not the, most photogenic, not the most photogenic bunch. And I think that rompers might exacerbate that problem with some of our members. And so they voted down the choice to, uh, to get rompers. However, I could see myself at a, at a uh, Star City Games Open in the near future uh, adulterating my Team MGG jersey to remove the sleeves... In case I find that it is too hot in the convention center, and I need to uh, relieve some of that heat by opening up my 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 upper biceps to the uh, to the the cool breeze.
1: We're, yeah, you like to feel a light breeze.
0: Wasn't that team like one of the first to actually have team jerseys for events?
2: Yeah, they were they were the first ones so, on the SCG tour.
0: Yeah, so they're kind of already fashion forward, man. I mean, I think I think the rompers are just a logical. Next
1: step. Logical next step. Mm-hmm. What? Uh, tell us a bit well, about Team MGG for uh, our listeners who aren't familiar.
2: Yeah. So, okay. So, uh, it was kind of a Jim Davis brainchild. And um, after he spiked the Players Championship, uh, it kind of really kicked into overdrive where he thought, all right, I'm going to really make this uh, ma- take a shot at this as a full time career. And I'm going to, you know, do coaching and do uh, a team on the SDG tour and try and promote ourselves and get sponsors and really try and take magic a little bit more mainstream by emulating some of the best esports teams that, that we've seen. Okay. So MGG has morphed over the course of the last year. Right now we have a six person lineup. Jim uh, is the captain. Then we've got uh, the Jessup brothers, Dan and Andrew Jessup, Uh, myself. We have Frank Scarin and Brad Carpenter, the, uh, the Floridian mastermind. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's a great group of guys. I enjoy preparing with and bullshitting with all of them, and um, I'm looking forward to see what kind of damage we can do this year on the SCG tour. I mean, we've we've got a between us, we've got a ton of SCG Open top eights and Invitational top eights and whatnot, and um, I'm coming for that trophy. So yeah, that and is SCG does yeah we do we prepare for these tournaments. Uh, we you know we do the gunslinging. Uh, on Friday nights before SCG opens at a store in the local city that the, the tournaments ha- held in and we do some coaching. So if you're actually interested in getting some magic coaching, you can DM me on Twitter if you want, or just message me on Facebook. Um, my Twitter handle is at 40 card Friedman and I'm Ben Friedman on Facebook.
1: And yeah. Nice. That's awesome. And that is a pretty stacked lineup right there. Uh, lots of, you know, Pretty awesome top eights in in that team's past. Uh, so Thanks. it's Jim Davis's uh, brainchild.
2: Yeah, Jim Davis uh, started working with some uh, New York based Magic players who were not competing so much in tournaments anymore because they got into you know real life business and families and stuff. But they wanted to get to stay involved somehow, so they thought this would be a fun business side project for them to try and get some sponsors and uh, and sponsor some players and, you know, get the jerseys and just come to the tournaments. And, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, the, those guys are are great. The, they're kind of the behind-the-scenes uh, back end of the team and the business end of the team. And then Jim stitches it all together with some weekly streaming as well as uh, getting the coaching stuff. Nice. So that's what's up there.
1: Yeah, maybe we'll have to get uh, Jim on to talk a bit more. Because, that, uh, yeah, that's a great idea. I really like uh, the idea of pulling – magic more mainstream trying to capture the success because like games like league of like not even just hearthstone but like thinking bigger like league of legends like imagine magic being on
2: that level for as an esport oh i would bust a nut it would be amazing
1: yeah just (laughs) you know you watch worlds of league of legends and they have like a full orchestra playing the background music and
2: (laughs) yes like tens of thousands of screaming fans no one has ever been a screaming fan for me
1: Yeah, we chose the wrong game. (laughs) But yeah, that'd be awesome. uh, Just bringing uh, magic more into the forefront of uh, the collective consciousness. Yeah, that's that's great. Uh, I'm not reading celsas. You can read
0: that. <laughs> uh, you don't have to answer this, Ben. Uh, this is this is our friend John who is just always uh trolling Jerry. And when we ask for questions, he says, "Uh, what would Ben suggest that Jerry do to be productive in any way, shape, or form at all for the podcast? #Hashtag What is it you say you do here?"
2: <laughs> I think that what Jerry should do is watch more motivational YouTube videos. Like the one with the guy who says, when you want to succeed as bad as you want to breathe, then you'll be successful. And you watch that and inspire the rest of the team. Is that the one
0: where he, like, basically drown, tries to drown another person?
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I spent a week at Dan Jordan's house in Las Vegas. just We just watched that over and over again. It's like, Dan, this is going to motivate you to go to the gym. <laughs> and then he started going to the gym, and now he's lost a bunch of weight. So it really works.
1: Oh, hey, look at that. Well, yeah, if it's between going to the gym and being waterboarded, I would choose the <laughs> gym. Yeah,
2: because <laughs> when you want to succeed as bad as you want to breathe, then you'll be successful. It's <laughs> <That's> goddamn right. <laughs> goddamn.
1: All right, I'll, I'll check it out. <laughs> uh, oh, I really like Tom Smiley's question here. Uh, how much do you actively think through lines of play? Uh, He mentions Delver, but I guess any deck, really. And how much do you play off of instincts?
2: Oh, my God. Uh, So I think that I'm mostly instincts, but I'm thinking through lines of play. uh, Like, I, I try and save up my brain power for those really complicated board states when I have to, you know, take a deep breath and be like, all right, shit, okay. So he could have this and this, or that and that one, and if he draws this, then I die. Okay, so I can't play around that. Okay, what if he draws this? Alright, do I... So, at that point, yeah, maybe like um, one in ten turns in a game of Magic am I really digging in. And the most intense games, yeah, I'll be doing that over and over again for like three or four turns in a row, and afterwards you feel super drained. But uh, most of the time I'm playing off instinct or just play patterns, and, uh, and I think that That's fine, but I I could obviously try and improve that aspect of my game and do less autopilot. But for most of my matches, I'm autopiloting.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think it was an LSV article I read where he said, you know, these uh, instinct, these mental shortcuts are important because it's physically impossible to think through every line of play of every turn of every game over the course of, you know, a 15-round GP. We have these yeah. instincts for a
2: reason. Not to mention you'd probably get a bunch of unintentional draws. Hmm.
1: Right. So, you know, it's it's good to, you know, think through more turns than, uh, you know, the more turns you think through, the better you'll you'll play, but it's important not to overboard on it.
2: Right, and that's why it's so important to play a large volume of games to practice because you start developing good habits and hopefully practice the right way, not just practice on autopilot, but practice with people auditing you.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, some of the biggest breakthroughs I've had playing Magic is when I'm playing a test game against a friend and then a third friend is watching both of us and giving pointers. Um, Yeah, you've got to have that. Like, that—that that is a great way to just learn what the proper play patterns are.
2: Mm-hmm. Second opinions are super important.
1: Nice. And finally, rounding it off, Jarek Cheek, what's the best counter to Delver decks?
2: Uh, okay, well, there's only one deck in Legacy that just absolutely annihilates Delver decks, uh, and it's the Jeff Hoogland red Sneak Attack deck but I don't really like that deck and it has enough inconsistencies that it's kind of like Sex Panther 60% of the time it works every time <laughs> but um, so it has a favorable matchup I think that the best deck against Delver decks in, in Legacy that's also a really good deck is probably Lands right now but I also think that you can get an edge by A, going a little bit bigger in so far as Talking, we were talking about how four-color Delver, or in this case, maybe just a Snapcaster Delver list with Grixis colors and Collective Brutality has a heavy enough removal component while being on the same general pacing as the Delver deck. That would be a good choice. Uh, another good option would be probably um, you, you could you could try tinkering with like uh, an Esper Stoneblade or a four-color, earth, you know, blue-black control, some other death-righty mid-range deck that keeps pace on the low end, but also uh, has just a little bit more on the top end. But I think that your best bet would probably be lands or a slightly larger Delver deck. Just because Delver is so flexible that it is really hard for any deck to get much above, like, 55-60% unless they're doing something completely wacky, which is, of course, the case with the lands deck.
1: Excellent. Awesome.
2: Yeah. Pat, so, um, all
1: right. yeah, Pat, you got anything else?
0: Uh, no, we got, I mean, we covered a ton. <laughs> yeah. like I know you, you were able to, you were able to stay a little bit longer than we expected, Ben. And that's we really appreciate you uh, you hanging around. Um, if you have to go, we totally understand. Jerry and I have some other things we can wrap up on
1: the cast, but um, if you want to stick around and talk Hascon, you're more than welcome. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, man. No, I'm not that familiar. I, I saw the packages and stuff. It seems a little expensive, but I mean, if people. People spend a bunch of money on tons of stuff. So, a couple hundred <laughs> bucks on Hascon, all right. It's a little pricey, but some people really like paying for those experiences. Sure. I mean, yeah. shit. The, Super Bowl tickets are way more expensive. People yeah, pay for that stuff.
1: Like, I think the problem is, is people are thinking of it at, like a GP, and one hundred and sixty-five dollars for a GP is ridiculous. But I think of it coming from the direction of other conventions. And $165 to go to, like, Comic-Con or PAX East or any of the other, you know, quote-unquote geek conventions, you know, $165 for that is, uh, you know, right in the ballpark. I think what it comes down to is how enjoyable is the con going to be? You know, what are we expecting to see? It's one
0: company. (laughs) Like, they have a lot of uh, IPs, but, like, honestly, how much can they really have? It's not like you have a bunch of different... Vendors there trying to all get your attention, you know,
1: it depends on how deep they go in the IPs. I mean, let's run down their list. They have a shit ton of IP and also IP that a lot of magic players enjoy. You know, keep in mind, they have all the franchising rights to Star Wars. Um, They have G.I. Joe, you know, Transformers for those Michael Bay fans out there. Um, you know, nerf guns, like if they have like, uh, imagine if they have just a room set up where you grab a nerf gun and then you just run around shooting everyone with nerf guns, like (laughs) something like it, it depends on how well they do this thing. If they have like, you know, really maximize them. Yes. I can see getting my money's worth, but if it's like. Bozo the Clown with a donkey ride <laughs> in the corner.
0: <laughs> that actually all sounds mildly sexual, Jerry. It makes me
1: uncomfortable. <laughs> it, it was intended to be. <laughs>
2: oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, awesome. it, it could be good depending on... Uh, yeah, I mean, we don't even know what, what, it, what it's going to have yet. Yeah, that's so all cool. we we'll, know we'll is... We'll have to get more details. But
1: All we know is it has iconic masters.
2: Yes. Right, which... Right.
1: That kind of annoys me. I would like... If I bought a three-day pass, I would like an Iconic Masters draft to come free. Yeah. Like, I wish they had done that instead of... I think it's, what, another $60 for the Iconic Masters? Yeah, but Masters. Then,
0: then you're going to get all these Jobins who don't actually play Magic trying to get in these drafts. It would make, it would make drafting incredibly unenjoyable if you had a bunch of people who have never drafted before.
1: Yeah. yeah. You know, played the
0: game before. You know, they're like, oh, I got a free... Oh, what's this? I'm going to go draft Magic. <laughs> it's like, no... That doesn't sound fun to me. I
1: mean, they already said there won't be any reserve list cards, but can you imagine some Jobin entering? Because we don't know what's (laughs) going to be in the set until people start opening packs. But some Jobin, what's Black Lotus? Is
2: this card good? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. Uh, (laughs) All right, guys, I'm going to take off, but uh, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: Dude, it thanks gonna... for, so much for coming on, man. We gonna uh, definitely have you back, and uh, I'll probably see you somewhere in Vegas. You won't see Jerry, but you'll probably see Shut me out. There. No, you'll yeah, see you my
1: Segway, my Segway with an iPad duct tape to it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, take it easy, fellas. See you, man. See ya. All right, bye. thanks for coming on.
1: More into Hascon, Pat. Are yeah. you gonna go? Uh, I I mean, so mm,
0: I am torn because I guess. It depends on what we see. The details coming out um, because I really wanted to play at least one draft of of uh, what is it called? Iconic Masters. I have a I feeling it's going to so be like it's going to be like oh I don't know Sarah Angels and a bunch of other bullshit like Craw Worms and a bunch of other bullshit like that. But it might be fun. Um, maybe I'll bring the maybe I'll bring Liam. He he's he's he'll be almost uh, six at the time. So it might be fun to do with him. We'll see. We'll see. I'll. I'll I'll probably go just cuz I want to play the the master set be one of the first people to play it but um I don't know.
1: We'll see. They, I, they keep they keep spiking my interest though cuz did you hear the announcement that came out today Pat? No. <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> this little blurb in the press packet. 3 Magic the Gathering cards made especially for HasCon featuring a mashup of Magic the Gathering uh. and three other awesome Hasbro brands.
0: But I'm assuming they're going to be non, like, you know... <laughs> they non, did confirm,
1: uh, yeah, they did confirm that they're going to be, you know, quote-unquote silver border, whether they'll actually have a silver border or not. Uh, they just, they won't be tournament legal in any format.
0: I mean, $600 for the Super, the Magic the Gathering superfan, 600 bucks for the three-day adult ticket is insane. And it doesn't get, that doesn't, like, get you in anything. It just gives you, like... Uh, I don't know. It just seems insane to me.
1: <laughs> well, the jokes have already been rolling in about Optimus Prime vehicles and Nerf gun equipment. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the drafts
0: are fifteen bucks. The Magic the Gathering drafts are fifteen bucks. Iconic Masters release event is fifteen is sixty dollars though. Yeah, and it's a draft. So what's like?
1: What it's not word... even sealed.
0: No, it's draft. oh no I'm sorry I'm sorry it is sealed I I, I was mistaken using six booster packs from Iconic Masters
1: alright well I mean $60 is pretty standard for any Master set Eternal or Modern I suppose but like but
0: this is I don't know it really just depends on what's in the Master set we're not going to know right (laughs) but I just feel like it's it's shock full of
1: everything it's probably
0: going to be if it's hot garbage it's not going to go over well you know what I mean
1: I mean people were nervous about Modern Masters 2017 and it turned into one of the stat- most stacked sets ever printed. That's I think true. you know especially also Wizards revealing Fatal Push uh, as the FNM promo. Which uh, what a great Drake. promo, huh? Yeah. yeah. Great awesome. promo. But I think it just shows an uh, idea shift in Wizards that they're realizing, okay, people want these cards, they want reprints, and they're seeing these cards get reprinted. Mm-hmm. And yes, they go down, but they're not tanking in price; they're holding mm-hmm. their value. And so I think that's giving Wizards uh, the confidence to kind of twist the spigot a little bit further uh, to, you know, let the reprints kind of really flow. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I guess we'll see what we'll see what happens, but we'll see. Uh, yeah. A
1: sixty dollar gamble. <laughs>
0: $60 gamble, I'm probably going to do it. I'm going to spend $125 to play a sealed, because like, I don't really care about the Hasbro stuff. I, cons don't really catch my interest, but I'm going to pay $125 really to play this. Yeah,
1: yeah so, I mean, I think the it does feel like they're double-dipping a bit, having to pay for the entry fee and the draft, yeah, uh, or the sealed, I should say, but it really just is going to hinge on how good is the rest of the convention.
0: Right, right. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, we'll see. We'll see. i'm
1: pissed off i i would think you know hasbro shareholders should get a free pass <laughs> you know reward, almost... <laughs> reward your owners
0: hasbro oh jeez. <laughs> <laughs> um well did you get to play any magic this week i did so tell I, me what you did
1: i went to pandemonium played their thursday uh legacy event how and has I... that
0: been going on there the pandemonium events
1: Uh, It's been good. So closer to the, uh, what was it, the Jeep, whatever the last big Legacy event was, um, they were getting up to 30 people. Um, This week they had 15. Um, So I haven't been able to have the time to make it out every week, but, you know, they're getting between 15 to 25 people. That's not bad. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's great. Plus, I mean, I get to go to it on my way home from work. It's Mm -hmm. like, it's the, it's one stop earlier on the subway than I would go to go home. So I just like stop off, play a legacy event, hop back on the subway, go home.
0: That's kind of sweet.
1: Yeah, so I, I do like that setup. Plus, all the guys there are really awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but I know what I sleeved up, Pat.
0: What did you sleeve up? Did you sleeve up moat? <laughs> <Your Motes? laughs> no, <laughs>
1: <laughs> moat deck wasn't ready yet. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Hopefully, it'll never be ready. If there's a guy. <laughs> I'm going to build a moat, Pat, and it's going to be great. <laughs> Now I sleeved up the We're going to build a
0: moat. It's going to be a fantastic moat. Talaria is going to pay for this moat. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> so what would you play? Did, what? What would you play? I sleeved up Show and Told. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Blue, green. Uh, Wrote my article about it, but the gist of the deck is Show and Tell, bunch of big fat fatties, As for Told, and then as foretold, used to abuse uh, Ancestral Visions and Hypergenesis. So instead of Sneak Attack, Hypergenesis fills the role of backing up show and tell of getting our fatties into play. Mm-hmm. And then also with that is Shardless Agent, because you can cascade into Hypergenesis or cascade into Ancestral Visions. Um, so I brewed this deck up, Pat. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> and I'm just like, all right, no one's going to see this coming. And I released my article, and I'm like, all right, a couple people read my article. But, you know, it's it's not that big. You know, how bad can this be? I'm going to go to the event, and I'm going to catch everyone by surprise. And the week leading up to the event, uh, you know, early scooping the top eight to all my fellow show-and-told brewers uh, who have been helping me tune the deck, um, I show up, play, and my opponent goes, Oh, this deck? No. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean, this deck? He's like, yeah, read about this deck on Reddit. This guy, Jeremy, wrote about it. <laughs> <laughs> did, did he not see the pairings? <laughs> I literally swore in his face, son of a bitch. <laughs> like 90% of the deck's power is its surprise attack.
0: <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's fucking amazing.
1: Uh but uh you know overall I was pretty good. I went uh 2 and 2 in the official tournament. Mm-hmm. And then I also played a practice match against my friend Nick uh and so I beat him so I ended up, you know, 3 and 2 taking the deck out for a first spin which you know isn't bad for first time out of the gate completely untested against uh, live opponents before.
0: Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Maybe you should consider like uh Taking your decks out for a spin before the article is published.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, Pat. I just fire by the seat of my pants. <laughs> I have no idea if they're going to work or not. <laughs> uh, but, yep. Uh, I played it. I think I'm going to still play it uh, some more. Uh, what the changes are going to be is I think uh, Elder Spirit Guide needs to be cut for ponders just to make the deck a little bit more uh, redundant and reliable. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about
0: you, Pat? You play well, Legacy? Yeah, so all right, so I switched things up a little bit. I did play some Blue Red Delver this week on Moto. Um I actually posted in the Facebook group, but I had this this just really great kind of semi lucky sequence against an opponent where so he's got like uh double vortex and um the rack. Was it the rack? The one with the stuffy doll. Um
1: well, it's
0: Black Vice and the Raptor. Black Vice, yeah, yeah. But this is Black. He's like a Black Vice. That was like this is like a game three sideboarded game. So he goes like turn one Black Vice. He goes like turn three Vortex. Turn four Vortex. Um, and so I'm on turn I'm on my turn five. So like double Vortex puts me to three. So for the turn I I draw Scalding Tarn. And so I I have like a uh, Monastery Swiss Spear on the board. Um, so I play I play Brainstorm. Uh, I'm sorry, Storm Chaser mage on the board. So I play Brainstorm. I, like, draw Brainstorm, Delver, Force of Will. So I put back Delver, Force of Will. I play the Tarn. I fetch. I use my second in hand and get uh, Force of Will, uh, uh, Flooded Strand, Bolt. So I keep Bolt. I Bolt him. He's, so he's at 12, and I'm at 3. Bolt him 12 to 9. Um, I have a Grim Lava Mancer that I activate to drain him for two, and then attack with Storm Petition Mage, put him to three, and then he dies to his own double vortex on his turn. It was very, very sweet. Um, so that was a fun, that was a fun little ri- interaction I had with Blue Red Delver. And then the other deck that I put together, I finally put together, um, Bug Depths, uh, for Magic Online. So I sold off all my, uh, like, uh, I sold off my Tarmogoyf, and my Leovolds, my True Names, got rid of oh. all that stuff. <laughs> and uh got into uh heck steps to try you, try a different deck.
1: You bought it. I thought you had borrowed it from Tom Happ. Oh. No. man. I well, did not know that.
0: Yeah, cuz I can swap it and on of deck's pretty like without a ton of like uh value lost on Magic Online and I think that the bug decks are slightly on a slight downtick right now, so I don't think there's a lot to be lost there. Um so yeah, so black. I put what's that?
1: You can always go blue black.
0: Yeah, that's true. So, well, anyway, so I, I put the deck together and I got to play some practice matches of the last night. Nothing too crazy to note, other than I've just I I enjoy playing the deck. It's a lot of fun. I haven't played a real combo deck ever, um. So it's uh...
1: Oh, what about that time you sleeved up Tin Fin's and bought all the pieces? Never played it I once. Never played a game. <laughs> and then sold them all.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I sold them all to play Eldrazi, and then I got Eldrazi, and <laughs> I did I did I had a couple nice finishes with that, and then I sold all Eldrazi to get a. Uh, I don't know whatever I'm playing now. Oh, to get to get the 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 paper bug cards that I have, which I'll likely sell again and <laughs> whatever. But, I just like to turn over cards, you know?
1: Between, you know, us and Adrian, because I've also sold tinfins to Adrian, which I think is <laughs> like third or fourth iteration of the deck, so I no longer have tinfins. I sold it to Adrian. I wonder how many copies of the tinfins deck have been bought and sold between the <laughs> those. I mean,
0: it's, it's definitely more than three, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, the one thing I don't generally sell off in paper especially our reserve, of ca- reserve list cards. Mm-hmm. Um, the one exception being um, I did have like three city traders that I sold off um, but in general I don't like any of my duels I hold on to. Um, anything I have on the reserve list I hold on to just because just I know that those are something that like is just going to always increase incrementally whereas other cards can get reprinted and all that bullshit so um, but yeah so anyway um, I'll be streaming not that it matters now uh, but I'm going to be streaming tomorrow night with uh, with Tom Hep. We're gonna do a league or two with uh, with bug depths, so uh, it should be pretty fun. I'm, I'm excited to see how the deck plays out, and Tom knows that deck like the back of his hand. So um, he was he was watching me play in the tournament practice room last night, and just like sending me stuff on Facebook Messenger, um, and uh, it was he, his advice is just really solid. So it's gonna be a lot of fun because he's he's really good with the deck. He's a super fun guy to talk to, so it should be a lot of fun tomorrow night. Awesome, yeah. Uh, all right. So, was there anything else you wanted to cover this week? I know we talked. I know uh, uh, Ben was what, what an awesome guest. He had a ton to talk about with the uh, between Esper and and and, uh, and Blue Black Control and just a lot of really yeah. good info. there
1: so. very knowledgeable. I, yeah. I asked Josh Josh before the cast. Josh CCO, uh he's my resident. Uh, tell me about this in Legacy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. He's like Google for Legacy for me. It's great. <laughs> because I didn't really know Ben that that well before uh Lauren suggested uh suggested him and I asked Josh like how's how's Ben and he goes oh he's like the nutter butters <laughs> <laughs> very good at legacy so okay. glad, glad Ben uh Ben worked out <laughs> um so yeah having Ben on was awesome uh i guess real quick i wanted to touch on for our local new england players uh, coming up, there's actually two legacy real estate events on the same day. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so it uh, it is an embarrassment of riches, as you are prone of calling it, Pat. I, I like that phrase. <laughs> um, two legacy Duel Land tournaments, uh, Scholars Games in Brockton, uh, Massachusetts, and Die Hard Games in Lincoln, Rhode Island, both on June 10th, are holding uh, Win-A-Duel Land tournaments. Uh, Die Hard's is twenty and Scholars is fifty, and you know uh, the prizes kind of correspond to the price differences. So uh, I think I'm going to go to that. That's going to be some great practice for be- Vegas if I was going.
0: <laughs> It'll be good actual practice for me. So I'll be going to. I'll definitely go to one of those. Um, I might go up to Scholars. I've been to, to Diehard before. That's a cool store, but I haven't been to Scholars yet. It'd be fun to check it out.
1: Yeah, plus uh, our friend Judge Gill will be uh judging the event. So nice. I think I'm probably going to go to Scholars. It's a bit pricier, but the I kind of like the increased uh prize payout a bit more. But yeah. Uh, yeah. I've been to Die Hard many times. Dave, the owner, is a great guy. He always throws <laughs> great events. So uh yeah, unfortunately scheduling uh the the two owners actually talked about it and it just it wasn't going to work out. They couldn't find another date for one of them to move to so unfortunately they're going to both happen on the same day but i hope both of them have uh you know a really good turnout and have some success
0: yeah for sure and i'll drop the link, links in, for both uh, events in the show notes uh for people who are interested and we'll keep an updated on the facebook page as well because there's one thing we like to do on the on the podcast it's support the local businesses around here that that support the legacy community so uh definitely show up to those events so they are encouraged to keep uh hold, holding them you know
1: yeah definitely awesome spread, spread the word that's also how just the legacy community functions it's all mm-hmm. word- of mouth advertisement you know yep. the best the best events that I've been to are have been the events that get players talking about them you know a month ahead of time mm-hmm. yeah totally
0: all right um was there anything else you wanted to uh, get into before we got out of here we're running a little long tonight too so
1: it's a it's a good episode, real long. It's a
0: good episode. It's a good episode. <laughs> uh now let's let's get into some scoops. Cool. Well, first, um, uh, so you can find me at Pat Uglow on Twitter. You can find the show uh, Search for Leaving a Legacy on Facebook. My stream is twitch.tv Out TV slash Pat Uglow. You can find Jerry at jmee E three R D. Uh, you can also find him on the Facebook page as well. And uh, let's get into scoops. Some yeah. scoops here.
1: Uh, and like how right. you've, re- you've revoked my right to say my uh, my contacts. I've, well, I've just, just messed it up so too many times. And... <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: mainly fluff anyway. so uh,
1: I-, I can add that to my field report. This entire thing's been a psychological experiment to see how long you could last. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you broke me, Jerry. You finally broke me. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, first of all, I wanted to, th- again, thank all of our Patreon supporters. Uh, we actually had two new supporters this past week. Cole Van Cedars, and uh, Joseph Blackman. So guys, thank you very much for the support. We really appreciate it. We're, I think we're just about at our first goal right now, um, so that's pretty exciting. How um, close are we
1: to giving out playmats, Pat? I want to get um, these out there. These are so sweet.
0: <laughs> well, the playmats, so the, the way the playmats work is um, when you're a certain tier and you're on that tier for three, mo- three consecutive months, then you you unlock the play mat and we'll just mail it to you. You don't have to do anything anything outside of that. Um, there's also like other tiers. I'm, I'm working on stickers myself right now. Um, I'm gonna get some really nice newly made stickers that are kind of a little bit more like I want to get like the die cut uh, vinyl ones that are kind of really pop and will look great on a on a, on a, a you know a binder or maybe on the back of your car or whatever. So I'm working on those now. Um, but yeah, so those are also in there. Uh, Jerry and I are working on thank you notes. We'll have those out hopefully in the next few weeks. Uh, so we got a lot going on right now with, with the Patreon. So, um, again, if you guys want to check that out, I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, it's uh, patreon.com slash leaving a legacy. Pretty easy to find there. Uh, but, yeah, PlayMats will be out uh, probably in the next five or six weeks, I would think. Because so. we nice. just started the Patreon not too long ago. so I can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. These, these, these look great. And... Uh, yeah, they're they're fucking awesome, and they're are they are going to be Patreon exclusive as well. I think Jerry and I were going back and forth and trying to figure out what the best way to do it is. I, I understand where you're coming from, Jerry, but I think I, reward, I want I'll to see reward. If I want to reward people. <laughs> I'll see if I can break that. I'll see if I
1: can break Pat.
0: <laughs> I just really want to reward people for, um, just you know taking taking their hard earned money and 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 giving and you know donating some to the show so that we can keep doing what we do and we can make the podcast better. Um, it means. It means so much to have the support of our listeners, and yeah. uh, you know, from the bottom, I my heart, I can speak for it for sure. Uh, I'm very, very appreciative.
1: All right, well, I'm gonna try and get some giveaways and raffles going. Get hell get these yeah thrown out. I'm, I'm gonna get a t-shirt cannon. <laughs> so I'm gonna show up at your. door. Are you gonna give out the t-shirt cannon? <laughs> no, I'm gonna get a t-shirt cannon. I'm gonna show up at the winner's door and I'm gonna launch the playmat <laughs> through their front window. <laughs> Oh man, I hope you all have
0: homeowners insurance. <laughs> um, yeah, so so again, Cole Van Cedars and uh, and Joseph Blackman, thank you so much for the for your support this week. Um, also, want to scoop in our guest this week, Ben Friedman. Um, uh, he couldn't stick around; he had some other things to do, but he was able to stay around for longer than we actually initially expected. So that was really great. He had so much, so many uh, you know interesting and insightful things to say. So want to scoop in him in the top eight as well. And, uh, I'm going to scoop in, uh, I'll scoop in, uh, our friend Tom Hepp, uh, for streaming, me, for streaming with me tomorrow. Should be a lot of fun. Awesome. How about you, Jerry? Uh,
1: well, first of all, want to scoop in, uh, Jeff Simpson. I forgot to scoop him in last week. He was the person who first showed me, uh, the, uh, Moxes and Planeswalkers deck we talked about last episode, which was sweet. Nice. Uh. Also I uh, just want to scoop in uh, all my show and intel- told uh brewers group. We have a little Facebook chain going uh where we're just kind of trading back and forth in deck trying to make it uh the real deal. So hopefully uh the deck can put up some more results. I'd like to see it uh, you know, get out there a bit more. Awesome.
0: Awesome. All right. You have a uh a die you wanna roll?
1: I do. It is here we got a four uh
0: joseph blackman benny and the jets that's a great song <laughs> great song
1: uh, he's been waiting Black- since
0: august of last year
1: <laughs> <laughs> this list is so long <laughs> yeah
0: and oh uh, and uh new patreon supporters so I know, say perfect you can buy your way onto the cast
1: <laughs> <laughs> except for you Celso. never
0: again <laughs> awesome so we're gonna listen to a little elm johnson this week
1: hell yeah <laughs> nice <laughs> hey jerry play us out with something sweet pat nice <laughs> <laughs>